Tonight, Hail Mary. So you're telling me there's a chance. Nikki Haley makes the case she is the one person who can defeat Trump and Biden. Why Republican voters don't care. Biden's base problem on Gaza, climate, student loans, and now the border. President Biden finds himself at odds with his most ardent supporters. President Biden is considering possibly taking executive action to impose tough new asylum restrictions. Why AOC now compares Biden to Trump. Republicans in Alabama go full Forrest Gump. Are you stupid or something? Stupid is, stupid does, sir. How the Alabama Supreme Court could sink the GOP nationally. And 44 years later, what we can all learn from Al Michaels. Welcome to the Ferris Show on television. First tonight, we deserve better, don't we? It's about the only thing Americans agree on is that as a country, we deserve better than Biden versus Trump. 330 million Americans, and those are the two that we have. Barring a miracle for Nikki Haley in South Carolina, Trump wins the nomination, and it is Biden and Trump again. So Nikki Haley and Gavin Newsom are better than their respective older party alternatives, but they are far from inspiring, from generational, the generational change candidates that they want to be. And that's the problem. Nikki and Newsom are just waiting for what reporters in Washington have now taken to calling actuarial events. In other words, something bad happening to Biden or Trump. It is almost impossible for a sitting president to die of natural medical causes. Earlier this week, a good friend of mine sent me this piece from John Contrain in the Wall Street Journal. Incompetent elites make Trump look appealing. Democrats deplore Trump supporters as racist who must be saved from their ignorance. Traditional Republicans dream that some policy plan or another attack on Mr. Trump's character might sway his voters. We ought to listen instead. What motivates Trump supporters? Simple. They want their country back. It's true. Trump voters are angry. They are scared. They want their country back. In 1992, President George H.W. Bush suffered from some of the same problems as the current establishment. A young governor from Arkansas tapped into that same anger, that disillusionment. But then he turned it into a force for good and optimism. And in ourselves, we can restore our sense of unity and community. As the scripture says, our eyes have not yet seen, nor our ears heard, nor our minds imagined what we can build. A Democrat quoting scripture used to happen. In 1980, Jimmy Carter faced a whole list of problems, and then along came Ronald Reagan. To believe that together... With God's help, we can and will resolve the problems which now confront us. And after all, why shouldn't we believe that? We are Americans. God bless you and thank you. Thank you very much. Haley's no Reagan. Newsom is no Clinton. So now they wait for what reporters call an actuarial event. Either something very bad happening or something completely unthinkable, like Biden pulling a Lyndon Johnson and stepping aside. 
You don't think he's going to run? No. No, I think they're going to get rid of him. I think they're going to move him out. They're going to force him to step down. That's what I think. If I had to guess, and it's just speculation, I'd say they're setting up Gavin Newsom for it. George Will is here, Pulitzer Prize-winning columnist, News Nation senior political contributor. Are we at the point where, barring some outside force, it's Biden and Trump? No. Uh, it does seem to me that Mr. Biden is one stumble away, one walk across the well-manicured White House lawn to the helicopter, stumble away from being uh, untenable as a candidate. Furthermore, if, it's still an if in my mind, if Trump uh, wins South Carolina and appears to be on a glide path to the nomination, the Democrats are going to look at the seven or eight states, and that's all we're talking about. That's where this election is going to be settled. For 42 states, this is a, this, they're right. spectators. If they see in all those that Trump is either ahead a little bit or behind within the margin of errors, I think they will say this is too risky and they'll find someone else. Now, I don't think it'll be Newsom. It seems to me they would have to have a woman at the top of the ticket, so Grit or Whitmer or someone like that. You, you and I have talked about Michelle Obama um, in, the, in the past as somebody who that would be possible. The name you did not say in this was Nikki Haley. Have you effectively written her off? Oh, certainly not. Uh, we will have a fun time on uh, Saturday night. If she comes into the 40s and if Trump is in the 50s, uh, so if she does better than she did in New Hampshire, suddenly we have a ball game. She did better in New Hampshire than she did in Iowa. If she does better in South Carolina than she did in New Hampshire, there's a long way to go. Until Trump has 1,215 delegates sewn up, the game is not over. So it could happen uh, by mid-March. Am I on to something, though, that Nikki Haley and any other Democrat, for that matter, but a field, a large field of Republicans, it's not that Donald Trump or Joe Biden is so good or their support. I mean, Trump has some very, a very, very committed base, but nobody seemed to be able to capture anything else. Is that the because of the electorate or is that because of candidates without that unbelievable star power? It's because the electorate is strangely frozen. Nothing Biden does helps him with the national electorate. Frankly, Leland, the economic numbers are really pretty good right now. And it doesn't help him at all. And nothing harms Trump with the nominating electorate, no matter what he does. Look, look he did four things in South Carolina. Middle note here. He goes into South Carolina, he attacks Haley's husband, makes fun of him for being off on a military deployment. Then he says he might invite NATO to, it, to do what it wants with the Baltic states or someone else if, if he's displeased. Then one of his most conspicuous worshipers, Tucker Carlson, goes to Moscow and makes a raving fool of himself, drooling over the bread and the, and, and the carts in the supermarkets of Moscow. And then Navalny dies. And Mr. Trump can't find a syllable to say against his friend Putin. Hmm. Now, right. if those things don't propel Nikki and cause South Carolinians to rethink some of their allegiances, what would? Well, I would, I would put that question back to you if that does not cause Republican voters in the rest of the Super Tuesday states, which is now 10 days away or 12 days away, to rethink their allegiance to Donald Trump, what would? Let's give them a chance. Uh, all right, fair enough. Um, Biden, Trump, both mentally unfit for a second term. Quinnipiac, 64% say Biden unfit, 51% say Trump unfit. You just do the math. 
that means, especially when it comes to Joe Biden, there are people who are willing to vote for him, even though they believe or are telling Quinnipiac that they are voting for him, even though they believe him to be unfit. Is there any way that this just goes to November the way it appears that it's going to go to November of Trump Biden? I think it's unlikely. What we're witnessing right at this moment is a colossal failure of the political market. Markets work when demand produces supply. Okay. There's a demand for a different kind of candidate on both parties, particularly in the Democratic Party. And the supply is not coming forward. But that doesn't mean that the market failure we're seeing is perpetual. It's not a nine-month market failure. I still think there's a non-negligible chance that Mr. Biden is not the Democratic nominee. Fascinating. And in that case, look, what's interesting is Haley overwhelmingly beats Biden by double digits. Trump is within the margin error a couple points nationally. And I think if we had a if we we polled it and we have not so far, say Michelle Obama against Donald Trump, Michelle Obama would womp Donald Trump. How is it that the nominating electorates are so frozen on their candidates who, yes, may fit their issue set, but are so much harder to get elected to the White House? Because the nominating electorates are the people in America and they're a peculiar minority who are intensely interested in politics. Most Americans aren't. Those who are intensely interested on the Democratic side are to the left, the Republican side to the right. And the one thing they have in common is they're not representative of an American majority. And so far, we have not seen anybody, I guess we bring this all the way around, we have not seen anybody who is able to inspire the American electorate uh, in a way that you've seen over the over the decades and I've studied. But this is why Nikki Haley, who has enough money to continue, is going to continue. Mm-hmm. Because until, again, 1,215 elect- uh, right. delegate votes, until then, it's not over until it's over. I think they say that in baseball as well, they right? Do. Good to see you, George. Good to Thank see you very much. Well, Trump is up 30 points right now in South Carolina, according to the DDHQ polling average. We'll be down there tomorrow to cover the primary, but also for a different reason. Trump is already looking to the general election. His last event before the primary is not a rally. Trump is going to headline the Black Conservative Foundation's dinner in Columbia, South Carolina. The theme for the dinner is restoring the American dream. Since 2012, Democrats keep losing a small but meaningful percentage of the black vote. Obama won it 93 to 6. Hillary Clinton won the black vote by 81 percentage points. President Biden won it by 75 percent in 2020. His current polling average right now, he is only up 59. Bruce Lavelle is here, longtime advisor to President Trump. It's good to see you, sir. Appreciate it. Nice uh, nice to chat uh, again. I understand the concept, and I think it's real, that especially among African-American males, there's a disillusionment with Joe Biden for a number of reasons. Some are economic, some are social um, in, terms of, of, in terms of his views on family values and other issues, and some are that he hasn't delivered on promises to the African-American community. I get why, people, why African-Americans would stay home. That's very different than the idea of them coming out and voting for Donald Trump. Tell me why I'm wrong. Well, thanks for having me. And by the way, I did watch the first uh, moon landing. I'm dating myself in elementary school. <laughs> and I did like the moon landing. Okay, Leela? Yeah. Hey, good to see I you again. Didn't... I saw you in Iowa. Uh, but no, you know, listen, I, I think that, and it's very clear, I think we talked in Iowa briefly, I can't remember, um, that this will be a record game-changing turnout for black Americans that's going to support President Trump. 
Um, I'll say it right here on your show. It'll be above 25 plus percent. It'll be one of the highest turnouts in the nation's history, um, the way the momentum's going. And listen, you know, one thing about President Trump, you got to remember, he's been in the limelight for, gosh, decades. I actually met him here in Atlanta 34 years ago. I've known him forever. And he was never this, quote, boogeyman that the left and the uh, Democrats did a great job trying to make him out to be someone he isn't. So, you know, fast forwarding that, going through a, a high gas prices, you know, high food price. Um, the one thing, too, Leland, and News Nation viewers, I want to make this, this point right here. Um, when you see uh, illegal immigrants coming over to our nation and being shown well, I, preference. Treatment, Bruce, I, I, I get all that. See that. They see no, that. So I, this I, is where this momentum's going to come from, is to where I'm going with this. Okay. All right, well, f- fair enough that there's momentum, and I think I, I would agree with you. There's anger and disillusionment um, in the African-American community against Joe Biden. How to get it to tur- turn into turnout for Donald Trump? Do you even need it to turn out for, for Donald Trump, or do you just need it to stay home? Well, no, we're going to get the turnout. I mean, listen, people are tired, Leland. Listen, come on now. For 40, 50, 60 years, and, and in some instances, a lot of these cities are governed by black leaders, and it's been controlled and encapsulated for decades in black culture and being that vote taken for granted. And remember President Trump, he historically said, what the heck do you have to lose? This is where this is coming from. People are tired. They set up on, uh, Biden set right up there in Charlemagne, the God, and says, if you ain't, you, uh, you ain't black if you don't vote for me. We, well, this, we, actually, we, we, have, we, we have that. We have that. Let's play it and we'll, <laughs> we'll talk on did. the other side. <laughs> if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, then you ain't black. Romney wants to let the, he said in the first hundred days, he's going to let the big banks once again write their own rules. Unchain Wall Street. They're going to put you all back in chains. Forget for a second how different Joe Biden looks and sounds uh, now 14 years ago from that 2012 clip uh, than he does uh, now, 12 years ago, forgive me. Uh, We hear about this every year, right, that that the African-American vote is going to be something that that comes out for Republicans. I've been down this road before. I went down it with Mitt Romney in 2012 for his campaign in 2012. He was saying the same thing. Why? Why is this year going to be different? Well, it's different because if you look at historically, the highest black voter turnout was, uh, of course, Abraham Lincoln, Nixon, and then uh, Donald Trump. So I don't know where Mitt was going. I was actually chairman of the party back then, and thats I don't know where he got that number from. But he has momentum. He has numbers to prove that. And look at the Latino vote, 41 percent, Leland, last election in 2020. So the numbers are there. But listen, once I said once again, people are tired. They're being tired, especially in black culture. And one thing real quick. Uh, black Americans, especially black men, that will be the low hanging fruit. That will be the big turnout for this 2024 election. I know that I've been in the game since I was 18. I'm here in the civil rights town of Atlanta. People are tired and more more so than anything. They understand that when during President Trump's tenure, he was the, he was the business guy. He was the guy who had the fastest uh turnout, or should I say growth in black businesses. I'm a black business owner here for 29 years in Atlanta. I know that I advocated for him in the White House. He wrote the platinum plan, which was going to uh, present a half a trillion dollars worth of resources and black culture. No one's ever done that. They, they understand the business acumen. So they're very uh, you see, even like I, thought, celeb, see, I, thought, I thought you were going to I thought you were going to go to the fact that uh, Joe Biden didn't deliver on George Floyd Policing Act and Donald Trump did on um, sensing reform. Well, so, I mean, th- I mean th- th- there's, there's our fairness. 
I, I, I got to I gotta run. go down the list. <laughs> I, 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 I gotta, I, we don't have a half an hour. I don't even have 10 seconds left. Uh, Bruce, it's good to see you. We'll see you on the campaign trail. Tomorrow, yeah, we will be in South Carolina talking to voters and both campaigns. That's at 7 p.m. Saturday, special coverage of the South Carolina primary, 7 p.m. Easterns when the polls close and we take the air. Coming up next, President Biden's border flip shows the vice he's caught in between his liberal base and swing voters. He can't satisfy both, which group can he afford to lose and still win this November. And 44 years ago, right now, much of America crowded around their TV to watch a game. And the idea was that America would certainly lose. There would be no miracle on ice. There was on this day in history. What we can all learn from the miracle on ice now, 44 years later. 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow up to Schultz. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Biden is effectively considering taking a page out of Donald Trump's playbook. I really do think they're sort of scrambling and responding to a massive political problem, but I think they may be creating more by essentially admitting that their argument on the legislation was false. Hypocrisy in Washington is nothing new. That's CNN's Republican strategist reacting to news that President Biden is considering executive action to severely restrict asylum claims at the southern border. It's the latest example of President Biden being torn between his progressive base and swing voters. Just two weeks ago, he said inaction on the border crisis was all Republicans' fault. Every day between now and November, the American people are going to know that the only reason the border is not secure is Donald Trump and his MAGA Republican friends. And he went on to say there was absolutely nothing he as president could do. Something changed. Perhaps the White House saw this polling. Voters listed immigration as the main reason they disapprove of President Biden's job as president. Chris Ahn is here, host of the Aggressive Progressive podcast, also a News Nation political contributor. Nice to see you in studio, my friend. Nice Welcome. to see you, too. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, he going to do it? I don't know. I doubt it. Uh, I think it's going to be met with the same fate that Donald Trump's executive actions were on the border. Lots of court cases, things being rejected. He should stick to his guns and say Congress should act here. There was a perfectly good compromise reached. In fact, it was far to the right. I I understand. I understand that. But this is a problem that a president can have a lot of effect on. Donald Trump had a lot of effect on it by executive order. I, I think, think we can agree got, on that. I, well, because of COVID and the use well, of the Well, okay, but the, still, the, the, num- the, num- the, numbers, the numbers dropped significantly even before COVID. I guess this is the question. President Biden's caught on a few issues, right? He's caught on Gaza yep. with his progressive base, on climate change, uh, on student loans, not popular with the working with working class Americans uh, and swing voters uh, for giving those. And he's caught on the border. Which does he choose? Well, look, I think he's got to figure out a way around all of them. The one that's the most problematic for him is Gaza, because it could impact him in Michigan, right? Michigan was won by about 150,000 votes. Trump won it by about 10,000 votes. You lose Dearborn, Michigan. You lose that large Muslim and Palestinian population in Michigan. You may lose the election. So he's got to figure out a way to bring those voters back into his camp. But doesn't that apply? And look, the, the, the fear always is, right, 
it's not that people are going to suddenly a, a bunch of Arab Americans in Dearborn are going to vote for Donald Trump. No, they're, they're just might not They're just not, yeah. not going to vote. Rasmussen polling on climate change, elites versus everybody else. Support for rationing, fight to climate change. 89% of elites support rationing. Those are people who make over $150,000 a year. People like you, right? Postgraduate degrees, okay? Uh, they live say? in an urban center. Yeah, elite, you know exactly what I'm trying to say. I live in an urban center. I live uh, outside. Okay, 89, <laughs> 89% of elites support right. rationing to fight climate change. Just 63%, 63% of regular voters oppose it. So it gives you sort of a, this stark difference. But this is what I thought was interesting. President Biden yesterday at a fundraiser, we have a crazy SOB, that guy Putin and others, yep. we always have to be worried about a nuclear conflict. But the existential threat to humanity is climate. Again, talking to a progressive base, this is not where everyday Americans are. Well, climate is a threat. Right. The question is, how do we resolve it without destroying yeah, our economy if, if you're, and creating hardships for regular? Right. Americans? But if you, but if you're a normal, ever, if you're a normal American working right. a job, dealing with a 20 percent rise in the cost of groceries, okay, and seeing immigrants come in and get ten thousand dollar debit cards and sixty four dollars uh, a day for right. food, like they are in Boston. Best okay. thing that ever happened in New York was letting immigrants do their own cooking. So I'm all for them oh, okay. buying groceries and cooking and then starting oh, restaurants. Okay. Please. But but really, number you think about if. You're a, a normal American. You hear the president talking in that way and talking about the board and not doing the executive action on the border. How does that play with swing voters? Hey, look, swing voters are going to vote about pocketbook issues, right? I don't think the border is a pocketbook issue. Really? I don't think the border. Look, I just wa- I was just very much involved with a race in New York where there was uh, where where the Republicans spent the entire campaign slamming the Democrat on immigration policy, and they lost by eight points, right? Because that was not what's really on swing voters' minds. It, it's a great base bait. It's a great way to amp up the GOP base, but you're not winning people in the middle on it, no matter what they think about Biden. If the economy is headed in the right direction and Trump is the candidate, they are not voting on immigration. They're voting on the future of this economy, the future of this country, and whether or not Joe Biden can protect the issues like a woman's right to choose or bring it back. You know, it's funny. I thought where you were headed with this is, yeah, progressives may be turned off by all of these issues if Biden moves to the center, but the single greatest motivating factor ever for Democrats is Donald Trump on the ballot. Absolutely. They're the one unifying force, right? You know, you you referenced AOC at the beginning of the show. Here, here's the thing about AOC. She understands that like people like Tom Swazi, who's a moderate who just got re- elected in, in New York, uh, may have different views from her. They're not in the same cohort, but they are on the same team, and that's team democracy, and Trump is not on team democracy. Okay, we well, that, that, that. okay that's a different quiz yes. conversation, but fair oh, enough. Oh, sure. All right. Good to see you, my friend. Nice as always. Too. Thanks so much. All right. 44 years ago, America was a lot like it is now, what we just talked about, a country divided politically and economically. Then this happened. Johnson over to Ramsey. The election off gets checked by Ramsey. McClanahan is there. The puck is still loose. 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow up to Schultz. Five seconds left in the game. You believe in miracles? Yes! This day in history, February 22nd, 1980, 44 years ago, just about right now. Al Michaels with the call of the American hockey team beating the Russians at the Olympics. 34.2 million Americans tuned in for what was supposed to be a Russian victory. In the battle of good versus evil, good won that night. The American victory became a metaphor for the 1980s. America won the Cold War by the end of the decade, giving way to a different miracle, the fall of the Berlin Wall less than 10 years later. Think what you want of President Biden's Ukraine policy, but one thing is true. 
The world right now is in a struggle of good versus evil once again. Good versus evil, not only against Russia, but against China and against Iran as well. The miracle on ice came in February of 1980. Inflation was out of control. American prestige around the world had plummeted. Iranian terrorists held the U.S. Embassy hostage in Tehran. The Soviets had invaded Afghanistan. We could go on all night with similarities between now and 44 years ago. The Soviets thought they could win against America, not just on the hockey rink that night, but on the world stage. That's how it looked. We all know how it worked out. Coming up next, a second IVF treatment facility just closed in Alabama thanks to a Supreme Court decision in that state. Can Republicans save themselves for another round of devastating losses on the abortion issue? For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What we're witnessing in real time here is potentially the death knell of IVF in red states across America, much like abortion access. Families tell us that they are confused, frustrated and shocked that desperately needed fertility options could soon no longer be available in the state. A controversial court ruling has patients angry and confused. My rage knows no bounds. A lot of people feel that way. People are also pretty confused. A lot of folks are confused. It's just some of the tsunami of terrible coverage of Republicans over an Alabama Supreme Court decision. The state's high court just ruled that frozen embryos from fertility treatments are children and enjoy all sorts of legal protection. To be clear, these are embryos currently held at more than 200 degrees below zero in nitrogen, liquid nitrogen tanks. As you can imagine, having embryos be declared children makes it really hard to get fertility treatments. Two hospitals in Alabama just shut down their fertility programs over fears there that doctors would get prosecuted. Of course, the media wasted no time in making Republicans weigh in on this. I didn't say that I agreed with the Alabama ruling. What the question that I was asked is, do I believe an embryo is a baby? I do think that if you look in the definition, an embryo is considered an unborn baby. Wait for these kinds of conversations to happen with every Republican, no matter what they are running for, from California to New York. That is the Pandora's box Alabama has opened. Lauren Wright is here, associate research scholar and lecturer in politics and public affairs, Princeton University. Uh, Boy, this has snowballed quickly and badly for Republicans. And it will probably only get worse because more clinics and healthcare providers will be really confused about this, as will people trying to conceive. And so I think we're actually only at the beginning, Leland, and I know you previewed it last night, and you're absolutely right about the political implications. Huge, constant, going to be a 2024 issue. 
Overwhelming support for IVF. Uh, this is a poll from December 12th before anybody thought this was really going to be an issue. 86% yeah. support access to IVF. 78% of self-identified pro-life active advocates supported. 83% of evangelical Christians. I mean, it is difficult to find something that 86% of Americans support and Republicans have figured out how to be on the other side of it. How do they get out of this? I mean, you're right. That's not even where the debate is. Should we have IVF? The debate is, should healthcare cover it? Should taxpayer-funded healthcare cover it? It's so far away from the norm. And so I'm very curious to see how former President Trump will answer these questions going forward. Because for Nikki Haley, just for anyone listening to the soundbite that you played, why doesn't she agree with the court ruling if she thinks embryos are babies? These are questions Republicans have to be clear about. And ironically, Leland, Trump is probably in a better position to answer those questions because he's so ideologically inconsistent on so many things. So if he says, yeah, I, I don't think embryos well, he, are babies, he used to be a Democrat, this is a right? bad decision, no one would be surprised. Exactly. Yeah, he used to be a Democrat. He's, shall we say, he's been morally fluid on certain issues uh, over time. I think what's fascinating is the the coverage is getting from some very fair-minded people. I would include my colleague uh, Dan Abrams in that from last night's show. Take a listen. You bring up a really good point, which is this idea that freezing the embryos at all, right, if, if it's a child, then ought to be child abuse, right? I mean, it's hard to say. And this is what is so concerning about the Alabama Supreme Court decision. When Dobbs opened the door to unsettling the law of reproductive decision making as we know it. All right. And we know that the media will just hang this around Republicans neck like an anchor and ask every Republican about it, which doesn't work out well for Republicans. 2022 red states, Kansas uh, defeated a anti-abortion or an anti-choice measure, a pro-life measure. Kentucky defeated, Montana defeated. All of these were red states that voted pro-choice. I'm wondering why is it that abortion has now gone from something that was so motivating, it's such a good issue for Republicans, to one that is now turned into be so terrible for Republicans and so great and now getting better for Democrats? Well, because as we've talked about, since the Dobbs decision, the energy is on the other side. Republicans had something to fight for. They were saying, should we really be doing late-term abortions? Do most people really agree with that? Is this viability standard actually reasonable when we look at you know, modern medical standards. Yeah. Now it's the energy's on the Democrat side. They have something to fight for. And when people are asked about abortion, they answer it in a pro-choice fashion. Mm. And, you know, the only hope Republicans have is there's yeah. all these other issues people care about. So how does this change, though, right? Because all of a sudden, and a part of this is framing, but a lot, of, a lot of part of it is just sort of fairness and covering the story. Suddenly the situation has changed has more from discussion about abortion, which is, uh, by definition, not a discussion really anybody enjoys having. There's some on the fringes who do, but the center of America doesn't like having that conversation, to now having a conversation about something that, what, one in six American couples go through, which is fertility issues, and talking about how Republicans are now anti-fertility and anti-family because of the way these rulings um, are coming. I'm just thinking about the framing of this. If, If all of a sudden you have... Republicans sort of deny because of their actions, criminalizing or denying because people are afraid of it being criminalized, access to IVF, there's no off ramp to that. And I don't, and this may be where we get to to end the segment, but 
why are Republicans in Alabama not coming out and going, okay, somehow we went a little too far on this. We're going to find a way to make sure that people can get fertility treatments stand by. Well, maybe they will, but it's a religious issue. It was a religious justification by the chief justice. And that's where the issue gets really thorny for Republicans, because if you believe it's a life, then you believe it's a murder no matter what. And that's always been the really, really difficult nature of these questions. But I don't think there's an off ramp. That's why Nikki Haley had to very directly answer the question. I think it's only going to get worse for them. Yeah, and look, and already now um, there's some challenge, legal channel challenges in Florida uh, talking about looking uh, at the Alabama decision. Lauren, always good to see you. Thank you. Coming up next, South American gangs figure out how to exploit America's lax immigration laws. The new crime wave coming to a city near you, far, far away from the border. That's a big part of this. They're also breaking into homes. We've shown you some video of that. Ryan McKenzie's here, Republican state representative from Pennsylvania. His district's about an hour north of where some of the robberies uh, at retail establishments are happening. Uh, Ryan, how organized is this? Yeah, so what we're starting to see is a greater frequency of this type of activity And the ones that you particularly mentioned in Chester County, the retail theft that recently occurred, those were organized crime rings. And so we've seen organized retail theft for years, but now it's coming particularly uh, from illegal immigrants and in this case, uh, South American individuals who were in organized uh, criminal activity. How much of this is a responsibility of the the state to deal with? How much of it is uh, possible for you all to, to take a crack at? Yeah, so first and foremost, immigration and policies that lead to this type of activity are at the federal government level. So the blame needs to be placed uh, squarely at their feet for the open border and the hundreds of thousands of people that are coming in to our country illegally every single month. At the state and local level, we can only do so much. Uh, So I've introduced some legislation here in Pennsylvania uh, that would crack down on sanctuary cities, that would expand the use of E-Verify, Uh, to stop employers from hiring illegal immigrants. And also an interesting one where we have seen individuals trying to purchase guns illegally. If they're in the country Mm. illegally, they shouldn't be possessing or having a firearm. And so I have legislation that would turn those individuals over to ICE and to the attorney general if they try to purchase a gun. Pennsylvania is interesting, right? It's a swing state. You've got a Democratic governor right now. Uh, Donald went for Donald Trump in 2016, Joe Biden in 2020. I know you're running for Congress there. Christy Nome was on the program a couple of weeks ago talking about the issue of E-Verify. We pushed her pretty hard on why a governor who is so... Uh, so we say talkative about, about the issue, issue of illegal immigration and so concerned about it, wouldn't have E-Verify in her state. Take a listen. In South Dakota, we don't try to come in as a government and mandate everything. We've got a lot of, of businesses that have stepped up and done that, and they're more and more doing that every single day because of this situation. The people of South Dakota are incredibly patriotic. The issue, of course, right, in the dirty little secret of why we won't get nationally verify is because we wouldn't eat as a country without illegal immigrants uh, harvesting a lot of our food, working in slaughterhouses uh, and a lot of the other jobs uh, that a lot of Americans don't want to take. 
That said, places like Pennsylvania or, or states that can institute mandatory E-Verify, are you seeing now a political shift between uh, Republicans and Democrats on this issue? Are Democrats now more likely to be willing to compromise on this stuff? Yeah, so let me say two things. First of all, I, I you know, want to push back on that narrative that there are jobs that Americans won't take. There are very few jobs when you actually look at the data uh, from the Department of Labor, uh, there are very few jobs that have a majority uh, of an immigrant population. So I think we should kind of dispel that myth. I think what we need to do is expand E-Verify. And so a number of years ago, uh, both union and non-union stakeholders here in Pennsylvania came to me and said, we have a problem with illegal immigrants taking jobs in the construction industry. And so I fought that battle. We got the expansion of E-Verify here in Pennsylvania through legislation I authored to make it mandatory in the construction industry. And I face some of these headwinds, which probably the governor is talking about. Some in the business community uh, fought me on that issue, said that they couldn't find people to do those jobs. Well, here we are a number of years later. We've cracked down on a large number of the illegal immigrants that were working in the construction industry. And who's taking those jobs? It's Americans and it's Pennsylvanians. We appreciate you coming on and talking about this. I know you're running for Congress. Come back and talk to us about the race, all right? Well, thank you very much, Leland. It's an important issue, so I'm glad you're covering it. Thanks for having me. Thank you. This 83-year-old says she can make it playing pro basketball. And she isn't kidding. Nor is the WNBA. New proof that age is just a number. some crossovers without dribbling to get the footwork down. Next is the shooting portion of my workout. I start off by doing form shots without the ball to make sure my follow-through is on point. It took me a few shots to find the range, but once I did it, it was straight cash money. As 83-year-old Shirley Simpson, a.k.a. Easy Money Granny, a retired nurse and grandmother with big dreams, Miss Shirley wants to be part of the WNBA. Uh, maybe as a player or perhaps part of the all-star festivities some way she's got some skills quite a challenge for Shirley who was once five foot six but she's lost two inches due to age and her first step just isn't what it was when she last played six decades ago but as you can see with the help of her two grandchildren she started documenting her new training regime and posting on TikTok and Instagram people have now responded And her videos have been seen over 2 million times on TikTok alone. Star of Grandma to the WNBA series, Shirley Simpson, joins us. Ms. Shirley, thank you for being with us. Did you know what TikTok was when your grandkids decided to start filming you? I knew what it was. I'm I'm not terribly much of a follower on anything (laughs) except email. Okay. Well, you mean, mean, look, the email is a thing. Okay. Even my dad can't do email and he's younger than you. So I I give you credit. Um, This is, is this a real thing? I mean, I don't think you, you're not going to play in any games, but what's the goal here? Well, initially it it started in part because I I really enjoy basketball. The boys play basketball. Other grandkids have played as well. And I, um, I just really enjoy it. I love the camaraderie following a game. Like, I can't believe how, of all the sports, because we've watched a lot of sports in the house, they're just, um, 
there's warmth between the teams. And so to me, basketball is the game. And uh-huh. um, the boys wanted me to be alive. And so they wanted me to be exercising. And I'm afraid I wasn't exercising very much. So they started thinking about the fact that I, they knew I was strong and get me exercising. And this is much better than going to a, a gym with a bunch of ladies jumping up and down. So. <laughs> and you had, you had played basketball, what, six decades ago? So high school, college? In high school, in high school. And then we also had an intramural team in, between our nursing schools. Uh, in, in British Columbia, and so I played a bit there. But I was—I I played, and I, I was more a track star than I was a basketball star. But all right, uh, Court Candy is your grandson's company, and I see you—you are wearing it uh, proudly. What's been the response to this? Uh, is WNBA talked to you? I, I can imagine there's a lot of companies that would want to get behind someone of your age uh, who's doing as well as you are and such an inspiration? Well, I think it's interesting that companies haven't so much, but what's happening is that I cannot believe how people are responding. Um, Like friends and uh, colleagues, um, I go to a class called Seniors Learning in Retirement. They were just totally astounded. I was at my daughter's the other day and she was having a little a, a party and a lawyer, a young lawyer that was there, she said, you got me exercise again. You're just great. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't stand like, wow. Well, I'm watching, I'm watching, I'm watching your routines here. Like this is, this is stuff that there's a lot of people half your age that they couldn't do. What's your secret? I've always been very strong muscle-wise. My father was a, a rock miner. Uh, he was called Bonus John, he gold miner. And we used to have these um, uh, sports day things where you would do a mucking contest and you'd you'd shovel muck into a, a ore car and then push it along. And my dad and I were frequently, almost always the winners. So. Yeah. And I've always... Arden, I push a heavy wheelbarrow. I do stone sculpting, and you really use your arms a lot. So my upper body is is good. All right. Well, Miss Shirley, we're going to follow along here and see what the reception is from the WNBA. Maybe maybe the All Star Game is in your future. There's a guy coming up here uh, at the top of the hour um, who also spends a lot of time in the gym. His name is Chris Cuomo. I'm thinking he could learn some things from you. Okay, so I hope he's watching. Uh, congratulations. Uh, this is great. What an inspiration. There's a lot of people watching I know who I sure am thinking if they think to themselves, if you can do it, um, they, they can at least get out there and give it a try. Thanks for being with us. We appreciate it. Here's Chris. Hey, I'm Chris Cuomo. How you doing? I hope everybody's cell service is back up and rubbing. What was up with that massive outage? Cell service and pockets all across the country, including Dusty. Somehow she still found a way to call me like a hundred times. It would be nice if the carriers, the government, told us what was up. Transparency. It is a constant issue and we have to keep calling it out. Remember, those in power are 